fours and answer these questions as quickly as you can. So how many generations can you trace back in your family line? What's one thing you can say about the oldest generation you're able to trace back? Uh, what is the meaning of your given name? Uh, do you identify with its meaning? And what is the most important title that you hold? All right, do that quick. Uh, if you could do groups of twos, that would actually be best so you could get through these questions. All right, we're going to have four minutes. All right, thanks so much for sharing. Can I get a little bit more on my mic? Turn on my mic. If you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And then I would love for you guys, if you can, just to bring your Bibles every Sunday. There's also a Bible app you could download and a notebook. And that way we can take notes on uh, the passages as we're going through the book of Matthew. Um, you'll have the Bible with you, I hope, for the rest of your life. And so as we preach through Scripture, I just imagine in my like, best dreams that 30 years later, you'll flip through to Matthew and you'll remember uh, some of the teachings you had at Renew about those passages. And you'll see highlights and stuff like that. So anyways, with genealogies, my, I was just asking my mom and my dad uh, how far back we could trace our family line. And basically, we know some things about our great, my great-grandparents, um, three generations back. I believe one was a judge, and the other uh, fought in the communist revolution um, against communism. And so they both fled to, uh, my, my grandparents both fled to Taiwan because they were on the, the losing side, which sucks. And then, um, but that's not very, that's not very long. Um, I wonder how many of you guys can trace your family heritage back, let's say, so your great-grandparents, anyone know your great-grandparents, uh, something about them, or, or at least up the line? How about, like, so if that's three generations, how about four generations back, great-great-grandparents? All right, how about five generations back? Nice, six generations, seven generations, eight generations. Okay, how far can you go back, do you know? A thousand years. That's a long time. How about you, Gabe? 20 generations. Do you have an idea of how many years that is? 14. Oh, he beat you, Ken. Uh, <laughs> how about Rachel? Whoa. I read about that in fifth grade. That's a long time. I think it's... Uh, it's interesting as we share some things about our ancestry, there's things that we share that are usually really positive stories, things that we take note, things of notoriety, and then there's other stories we leave out as well. Um, the second thing I think about is also the name given to us. And some of us uh, are really attached to our names. We're th- we felt like our parents were thoughtful about it. Uh, someone in my group says they wanted all the kids to be named M. And so I got my name. <laughs> and, uh, but I think about Liam. And Liam, Nina, Nina's uh, Australian, and Liam comes fr- has, a, has a lot of Australian, kind of it's like popular there. But it means a lot to me because it actually comes from my root name, William. So my name is Wilson, and uh, Liam comes from William, and Wilson comes from William, which means guardian. And um, his middle name is Samuel, which 
is in memory of my wife's father who passed away, which means called to. And my last name is Wang, which means king. So warrior called to the king. And I, I really like that. Of course, idea, is, I don't know, right? You like that? Cool. Thanks, thanks for wooing. I didn't think I'd get that reaction. Um, there was a last question uh, there as well. What was it? Oh, title. Okay. And so for me, I think my, the title I try to remind myself of every day is that I'm a child of God. But I definitely value being a father, a husband. I value being a pastor here as well. When you look at uh, the genealogy, the titles of Jesus, we see that introduction in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And genealogies were extremely important in the Jewish culture. So Jesus was able to trace back uh, his, his genealogy, genealogical line all the way to Abraham, which is over 2,000 years of history. That's really impressive. For most of us, we can't even go back 200 years. And, um, but that wasn't atypical in the Jewish culture because you could walk up to a synagogue and most of the time they will have your family lineage all the way out to Abraham. Because within your family line are some really important things. Firstly, your identity comes from your family. Um, your, who you are and, and what you're made out of kind of comes from the history of your family, which is really well documented in, in Scripture uh, for the Jewish people. Secondly, your land comes out of your, your family line. And so when Joshua conquered Canaan, he divided that land into the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And each one of these tribes divided the land up into those families. And so your claim to the land you reside in comes from this really historic, rooted past of the Israelites taking over Canaan. And so selling land was like a crazy like taboo because you're selling really your identity and your, your family history. Again, in Prodigal Son, when, when the father divides up his property, that was like crazy where he would sell land in order to fulfill his son's desire for an inheritance. But thirdly, and the most important aspects of, of a genealogy was that there was blessing attached to your family line. So when you think about how uh, Jacob blessed his, his sons, all 12 sons, in very specific ways, and you're one of their descendants. You, you are, a, in your inheritance, isn't just land, isn't just identity, but you inherit that blessing as well. So if you came from the tribe of Judah, you would remember what um, Isaac, uh, Jacob said to Judah, his first son, and then you would carry those promises. You would carry those blessings um, as a descendant of Judah. And so, when Matthew opens in, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, he says his name is Jesus Christ, right? And then he also says he's from the line of Abraham and the line of David. So there's this great weight in terms of the promises given to Abraham and David that Jesus inherits. But when we think about this Israel history, uh, this Jewish history, oftentimes we feel separated from it. Even right now, some of you guys might just be like, I'm out, like, I just, next sermon. <laughs> like, how do you skip sermon? I'll listen to a Spotify commercial on cars if I have to, but I want to skip the song. Um, but Jewish history is actually our history. There's some really great passages on that that we'll go into. 
John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13 says, He came to that which was his own, which is speaking about the Jews, but his own did not receive him. And as a majority, the Jews rejected Jesus, right? Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or human decision, but, or a husband's will, but born of God. So what it's saying here is that we have our natural lineage. Some of us can trace that back a, a few generations. Some can trace it back over a thousand years. But we also have a spiritual lineage. That when we became Christians, we were given birth into a spiritual family. And I think what's cool is that the person who led me to Christ was my mom. The person who led my mom to Christ was uh, Uncle Francis was a part of that, but the, our church um, and our old pastor. But someone led him to Christ, someone led him to Christ, someone led him to Christ. And I think if you trace all of our spiritual lineages, you could probably, you would have to, for, uh, uh, yeah, for all of us, you would have to probably hit one of the disciples of Jesus, right? Because one of the, the disciples were the ones who received the gospel. And then from there, you have Christ, uh, who spoke the gospel to them. And then from there, you could kind of work your spiritual lineage up the line of Christ. And so in a very real way, spiritually, we are attached to Jewish history. And when you think about Jewish history, again, you have uh, cultural separation. I'm not a Jew. And then some of us might think of it as a, a religious separation. Again, it, um, we're not Jewish. And yet, I think another way to reframe it is that this is the story of God's people throughout history. And as we are God's people, they were too God's people. And they were God's people prior to us. And so when you think about all of God's people kind of lumped into one history, put onto one storyline, their story, our story is a continuation of their story. And here's a passage that speaks about that rather explicitly. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 17 it says, but some of the branches were broken off. And you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others to share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Okay, so the branches, so there's the olive tree, which is um, the national uh, symbol of Israel. So every time it talks about olives, it's really a, a symbolic of Israel and the Jewish people. And in verse 17, Paul's lamenting that many of the Jews didn't believe in Jesus. And so they were broken off from kind of being the people of God moving forward. And uh, in some ways and not in others of you, sorry. Anyways, and then there's a, a wild olive shoot. That's us. That's everyone who's Gentile and isn't a part of this natural Jewish line. And we are grafted in, right? So you kind of cut a shoot off of this other patch of, of wild olive shoots, and then you take it and you carve out a part of the olive tree and you, and you press it into it, and then you tie it up, and then all of the nourishment from the root of the olive tree nourishes our spiritual life. My, my uh, grandpa, he was a gardener, an ar architect, um, um, the, um, he was into farming. <laughs> <laughs> Smaller words, smaller words, less syllable. Agriculture, thank you. He wrote a book on agriculture for a university in Taiwan. 
<laughs> and so we had this pretty massive garden. How long was that pause? Was that three days? <laughs> um, I don't know. It felt like three days. Um, and then a resurrection. Anyways, so, so we had this big garden at home, and we had all these trees, and my grandpa would, like, cut the, the branch of, like, an orange tree, and then, like, plug it into our lemon tree and make these, like, crazy fruits that are probably ungodly. Um, and that's what happens in our spiritual lineage, right? We come from, many of us come from really historic uh, religious backgrounds that is not the Christian faith. And yet God plucks us out of that, grafts us into this olive tree. And the spiritual blessings that Abraham and Isaac and David had are given to us as well. Isn't that isn't that crazy that in, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that every spiritual blessing has been poured out on you. So when you think about these words that God gives to these Jewish patriarchs or to the kings, when you think about the blessings they carry, it, it was, it's, you, you have it. Like, it's yours. All of these blessings in the Old Testament are yours as well um, and, and are fulfilled in Christ. I hope that it gives you this, um, you know, as you grow older, you will, you will value your history more. You will. You'll, you'll think about your life, but then you'll think about the, what, your ethnicity more, your culture more. You know, I've been really in, um, yeah. And then, and then to look at this Jewish, this rich Jewish history and say, this is my spiritual lineage is a beautiful thing. So here it is, Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus means Yahweh saves. That's his name. Uh, you know, an angel told Joseph what to name, name him while he was mute. And then the Messiah is actually translated in Greek as Christ. So we say Jesus Christ, but uh, Christ isn't his last name. It's actually a title. Jesus' is name, Christ is his title, Messiah, which means anointed one, and has this throwback to David being anointed and, and being king. So it's kind of like saying Jesus the king, the Messiah. The son of David, the son of Abraham. So these are probably the two most prominent uh, figures in Israel's history. And the greatest um, kind of cornerstone blessings that God gives his people are from are to Abraham and to David and carried out for the rest of human history. And what, what the writer Matthew is saying is that Jesus is, is inheriting both of these uh, massive blessings and covenants. The Abrahamic covenant is one in which is inclusive to all nations. And so Matthew is saying, hey, this book is written to Gentiles, is written to, to all these people who will come to Christ who are not of the Jewish descent. But when he says the son of David, he's addressing the Jewish audience as well. And he does this heavily. He has more quotes to the Old Testament than any other gospel. And he gives a lot of kind of Jewish history through this gospel. And I'm excited to go through that with you over the next two to three years. This is the Old Testament kind of the, the whole history of the, of the world, Adam and Eve and creation of the, and that tree. Then there's the ark. Then there's the, patriar uh, the patriarchs of, of Israel, 
from Abraham all the way to Joseph. And then Moses uh, delivers people from Egypt. You know, uh, Whitney Houston sings, I believe, I think. And then, um, and that's really the inauguration of Israel. God makes them from slaves, from a tribe into a nation, gives them laws and governance. But it's, it's really actualized in David, who becomes like the great king of Israel. And, um, and then after about a couple hundred years, we have Israel going into exile and uh, testaments in between, uh, this 400 years of silence. No, no prophets, no temple, no nation, because they were pushed into all these other nations. So if you think about Israel's history and how the genealogy breaks down into three sections, um, the way we can think about it is from Abraham all the way to David is kind of one large section of Israel's history. Okay, and then from David to the exile is the second section of Israel history where they have a land, they have a temple, they have a king, they have territory. And it's really, um, yeah, there's that kingdom aspect. And then from the exile into the birth of Christ is the third section of Israel's history. A lot of prophets are there kind of longing for this kingdom and this king to return, speaking about the Messiah in really tangible and concrete ways. And again, if you look at your Bibles in Matthew uh, chapter 1, there's the, uh, a lot of Bibles will kind of section off his genealogy into three parts, um, and that's how it was written and meant to be thought of. The first part is speaking about Abraham. And this is the, oh, sh- okay, good job. Okay, this is the blessing of Abraham. It says, this is kind of the first thing God says to Abraham The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. This is Canaan where they're going to set up Israel. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that last part says all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And we think about in this Abrahamic covenant is this, God who's saying, I'm going to be God of every nation. And your, your descendant, primarily Jesus, is going to bring my blessing to every nation on earth. And even in Israel's history, we see God saying, I'm not just the God of Israel, I'm the God of everyone. And we went through the book of Jonah as a young adult group. And here we see something really atypical in their ancient views of God. In the ancient view of God, your God, your nation worships one God who governs you, and other nations worship their God who governs them. And there's not a lot of overlap except that war. They kind of show which God is bigger. So you think about David and Goliath, and they're smack talking, and they kind of brought David like bring gods into God into it, right? Um, but we have we have the God of Israel saying, "Go to the Ninevites and declare, ask them to repent," and He's extending His reach beyond Israel. And he does that many times. And then we have Jesus coming down to earth. And you think about the two, peop- the two groups of people who worship Jesus first at the manger. You have the shepherds, angels appear to them. They go to the manger, they bow before the Lord. But then next to the shepherds, you have the magi, right? Jesus, the savior of the world, brings the Jews and then starts bringing the Gentiles together. These people of the East who are non-Jewish, worship and bow before our Savior. Um, 
and, and fulfills this Abrahamic covenant. Then we have in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go to all the nations, right? He's commissioning his disciples to preach to every nation on earth. And when we look around this room, we probably have people representing uh, dozens of nations of origin, right? Ethnic origins. And you think about how when, when God told Abraham 6,000 years ago that he's going to be a blessing to every nation, we sit in this room and we are part of the fulfillment of that promise. All of the nations here, many of us, you know, I would venture to say 98% of us don't have Jewish blood in us, are worshiping before this God, declaring him as king, being blessed by him, inheriting this blessing. And then I think about all of you who have gone to different nations to share the gospel or across the freeway to Cal State Fullerton or in your workplaces, in your families to say, I'm bringing this other blessing to you. Come be a part of God's family. He wants to include you. We too are fulfilling this Abrahamic covenant. And then we have in Revelations where every tongue, tribe, and nation bow at the feet of Jesus. What an amazing fulfillment of this, this one paragraph of words spoken into Abraham. I hope it's humbling, right? I, I think about like Nina accusing me sometimes of like, you didn't keep your promise. And, and it was like less than 24 hours of like promise. Like, I will swift the floor. And then I did not swift the floor. But imagine like, imagine in, what if in like 20 years for our anniversary, I, I brought up one of the first cards I wrote her. And I said, babe, I want to be married for the rest of my life. And, and on our 20th anniversary, I will take his, you to this park where I bought you that bike for the first time and you knew you wanted to marry me. And then we're sitting in that park and there's a bike in the distance and I break out this letter from 20 years ago and she's just like mind blown, right? Like, oh my gosh, he remembered his years, his words from 20 years ago. Or what if in my deathbed, right? I'm like dying, my, grandpa- my grandkids are there and, and I'm, it's ha- I'm having trouble breathing, but Nina comes to me and she says, and she's like hearing my last words. I'm like, Nina, on our first date, I told you that with my dying breath, I will say I love you and give you this rose. <laughs> and, and as I'm flatlining, right, I say, I love you. And then I open my hand and there's a rose sitting there. Oh my gosh, that my grandchild gave to me. Oh, crazy, right? I would have held a promise that I gave her for 40 years. God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to every nation. And for generations, people held on to that promise. Jacob says, don't bury me in Egypt, even though we're prosperous here right now. Bury me back in Canaan. But not only did people hold on to the promise of God, God held on to his promises in profound ways. Kingdoms rose and fell the temple was built and rebuilt. The nation of God scattered and regathered. Technology changed. Landscapes, landscapes changed. Islands were birthed. And God still held on to his promise. And we sit in this room as a testimony of it. We give testimony to it 
and one day it will be at his throne and it will blow us away. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation being blessed before Christ at his throne. When, when um, we look at Romans chapter 11, it speaks about the sovereignty of God and it points to this, God keeping his word through history. The second um, part of this genealogy starts with Abraham, ends with Jesse, king of David, right? And I just put that up there. It's, it's part of that first part, Jesse, king of David. And it says, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother's uh, had been Uriah's wife. And so David here is put in twice in, his, in Jesus' genealogy. And that, ha- that doesn't happen with any other name. And it's a pointer, right? It's, it, the Bible does that. In Proverbs, it will put two verses that say the same thing next to each other. Or it'll put one verse, one proverb here and another proverb five chap- three chapters later and says exactly the same thing. And it's intentional. It's for emphasis. Or Jesus will say, truly, truly, I say to you. It's, it's an emphasis. It's, it's the author taking out a highlighter and just like highlighting the page but they didn't have highlighters, so they just repeated themselves. When we think about marketing, you watch a commercial and then you watch it again, you're like, did they mess that up? No, like it's to give us good memory or to, it's allowing us to remember. So here, he emphasizes David. He intros Jesus as um, in the lineage of David. Then he puts David here twice. He has another really subtle pointer. At the end, he says, 14 generations between Abraham to David, 14 generations between David to the exile, and 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah. Again, those three chunks that are broken down. And there's this really subtle pointer where David, if you take the consonants in Hebrew, all, the, all Hebrew words or letters have a numeric value to it. And so when you add up the consonants of David, um, it's 464, which equals 14. And it, there's this really subtle pointer so even in the genealogy and the way that he structures it, he's saying that this is David's, um, this is, Jesus is a fulfillment of David's promise. Uh, if you watch the movie Pi, <laughs> um, father has a numeric value of three. Mother has a numeric value of 41, which makes sense that moms are over 10 times more valuable. Um, just kidding. <laughs> kind of. And then uh, a child, if you add up its numeric value from, from the alphabet, is 44. I say that so that you might feel the mystery of Scripture um, and be humbled by it. And also to show off my research. I did like 20 hours of sit-down research here. Um, so here's the D- Davidic promise. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne will, shall be established forever. And then when you think about the title Christ, again, it means king. So within the very uh, name and title of Jesus, he's fulfilling this promise to David where, where God is pleased with David. And he says, in your lineage, there's going to be another king, a greater king that you're only a foreshadow of who will establish my kingdom forever. And, when you th- and Matthew has this strong theme of kingdom in his book. Now, let me go back to our timeline and talk about kingdom 
uh, really fast. Oh no, this is going to take a few slides. Hold on. I did this. I made mistakes. Mistakes were made. Okay. Oh my goodness. We're going to the first slide. We're going to. All right, here we go. So when you think about kingdom, you have Adam and Eve in the garden. And the idea of kingdom is that there's a king. There's someone ruling over it. So God is perfectly ruling over the earth right now in the Garden of Eden. There's no sin. People are invincible. If a, if a Category 5 hurricane came through, your body would be able to not only withstand it, but I believe enjoy it. Like you would just fly on it and be like, this is the best roller coaster ever, right? I mean, you can lay it in snow and feel its coldness without being afraid of hypothermia. You would never be afraid of cancer or viruses or bacteria. You have perfect relationship with God. You can see him face to face and not melt away. You can uh, be with people and be completely vulnerable. That's what God's kingdom rule looks like. That's what it looks like when a perfect God is in charge of our lives and humanity. And then you have the fall and man saying, I don't want you to be my God. I want to be God. And everything that men and women were in charge of, creation, animals, everything went outside the rule of God, and we have the earth as we know it, almost like an apocalyptic fallout, right? I imagine Abraham apologizing to his kids like, yeah, uh, life was good once, and now we're living in this like desolate world, almost gray. And then we have God saying, don't worry, I'm going to redeem you. And he chooses Abraham he chooses the nation of Israel, and he, he puts together a nation that's supposed to represent his rule again. And it had territories and borders. It was governed by a perfect legal system. And at its best, at its pinnacle, it had the great King David who ruled mightily and justly. Solomon ruled with great justice and wisdom that nations would come to have consulting by him. Their, their armies were invincible. No nation could stand against them. And they were so wealthy that there was gold and silver laying on the ground and they wouldn't bother to pick it up because they had that much wealth. And it's, it's a throwback to this. It's saying that's the way it was supposed to be. The earth we know it is a, is a fractured earth. But it, then Israel rebels against God. And then you have the exile. And then Jesus is born and he says, I'm going to inaugurate my kingdom again but it's going to look different. It's not going to have borders and territories. The temple will be in the hearts of people. And they're going to go around the world and they're going to form these communities called churches. That's why we have a crown as our symbol because we're saying Jesus sits on the throne and we want to be his kingdom people. We want to be citizens here. We want to learn what it looks like to live in this kingdom, in this country that Jesus is ruling with its own culture and values and priorities. And we want to embody and demonstrate that here as a church. And then, and then there's like hundreds of thousands of churches around the world doing the same thing. It becomes an invisible kingdom. And Matthew is all about that. When we go to the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, we learn Jesus starts prescribing what it looks like to be citizens of his kingdom. That happens in the church. And then we have the J Jesus is coming back where he establishes king his kingdom in the most tangible ways. And he says, hey, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, here it is. And it's perfect again. 
and everything is under his rule. It's this story that instead of being linear, is circular, and we're at this upgraded city version of the Garden of Eden. Did, did you guys follow that? Oh no, we have to go through like six slides. It's totally killing the momentum. Okay, here you go. We're almost there. So all these pointers to David and then speaking to him, to Jesus being the real and the great king. And lastly, we have the exile, right? So after people continue to rebel against God and God shows mercy and then they're thankful and then they worship him and then they forget about him and they turn to all these other priorities, um, they're sold into slavery again. This happens like a bunch of times. And then finally, they're exiled into Babylon. And we have this long period of time where Israel doesn't exist anymore. There's no king. There's no kingdom. There's no nation. And they're asking, what happened? What happened to this covenant that Abraham made with God? What happened to this Davidic covenant about a king and a kingdom? We are sold as slaves. We are foreigners. We are a, a persecuted minority in all of these countries. And in these names, we, we have all these names that are not biblical because God goes silent for 400 years. The temple becomes a shell. They used to feel his glory and the old men would weep and the young men would dance because they knew God was there. And then God started to whisper and then he became silent. And the temple became just a whitewashed tomb, something nice to look at, but there was no presence. And I think in this time, we, we, we go back to Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves. And for the 700 years, all these prophets who were speaking, there was this like great anticipation of a hero, right? So if you think about like, another country taking over the U.S. and we're all enslaved. And everything we make, we have to give 80% away. And all our rights are stripped down. And another country's people can command us and we have to do what they say. But then there's this prophecy for America, right? Where like this great man is going to erupt, this Superman, who's going to have like laser beams for eyes, who's going to be bulletproof, who's going to be able to fly, and who's going to be able to deliver us and make us into this great nation again, we would have our hopes in him. And there was this different sense of hope for Israel during this time, for the Jewish people, that they would hang on to these prophecies, waiting for Jesus, waiting for a Messiah to come and deliver them. And so when, when we see all these throwbacks to these prophecies in the Old Testament, even in the first chap couple chapters of Matthew, it's, it's touching into some deep longings in their heart. And I wonder if we can uh, feel the same longing of Israel, that there's things that are so imperfect with our world. Hurricanes ripping through islands and uh, Miami, or deep-seated racism in our country. Or we look far enough and we see AIDS, like wiping out people, um, we see famine, we see suffering. And, and I think in the suffering, 
I hope that we don't become the savior. I hope it's not about primarily social justice or racial reconciliation or us living missionally. That primarily it's about Jesus. Yahweh saves. We would put our hope and our trust in him and we're waiting for the great day of his return to set up the, the earth in a totally different way and we are a part of that as well. As we look at just this last slide that um, I think we know so well, I wonder if it's going to start meaning different things. I wonder if we go deeper into what it means for Jesus to be Lord or King, um, rooted in Jewish culture, Jewish history, or what it means for Jesus to save and to not put people to shame or when it says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, that we would think about the great blessings that we inherit as engrafted vines. Let me read this to you um, as the worship team comes up and as our, we conclude our time. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your mouth, with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, today we celebrate Christmas early. We think about this Jesus who isn't disconnected with your story, with your people, with your promises, but is a fulfillment of it, and we get to tap into that. I pray, Lord, that over the next two years we would dig deep into our spiritual roots and we would be nourished by them. I pray also that we would um, understand the blessings that we've inherited and live in the identity of that. It's so easy in our Christian culture to just kind of copy and paste our spirituality, to kind of feel like we've fabricated something out of thin air or to customize it to what fits our lifestyle. But I pray, Lord, that the book of Matthew would, would root us in who you are and allow us to be rooted as well. In Jesus' name. Um, in this moment, um, we'll just kind of play the piano and spend like a few minutes taking communion. Um, we have two communions in the uh, tables in the front, and then we have one in the back. And I hope that as we take communion today, the name Jesus Christ would go a lot deeper. And as we partake in his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, there would just be these deep roots into the Abrahamic blessing, into the uh, Davidic covenant. And, and we would feel small in God's story. We would feel small at the cross, that it wouldn't just be about us, but that we would be about the cross and we would be about the story that God is unfolding that we get to be a part of. So what I, could I just invite all of us to stand and 
uh, go to one of these tables and take communion together.